You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM. This is The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is how a proposed foreign takeover could affect tech resources, Canada's largest mining company and one of BC's top corporate employers, plus updates on consumer affordability and the BC Liberals Party rebrand to BC United. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Wonderful to be here. Good morning. Now, let's get into it. What's all this about a foreign takeover of tech? Well, it's not entirely unexpected. The possibility of a takeover by Swiss headquartered mining giant Glencore uh, has been something that has been discussed for the past year. Uh, I think last six months, they've really been courting shareholders. Uh, but in the meantime, tech itself has been taking some pretty big steps to position itself uh, to thrive in what we see as evolving investment uh, expectations and conditions. Uh, but it was actually this week that the news hit the broader business community. Uh, Glencore is aggressively wooing uh, tech shareholders. The board has rejected an offer, uh, two offers now, in fact. Um, but uh, unfortunately, that's uh, not the end of it. And uh, everything here actually hinges on tech shareholders' approval of a restructuring plan that was actually proposed by tech leadership. And what that would accomplish, and I mentioned this on, on past shows, is splitting the company into two separate corporate entities. Uh, tech Metals, uh, which would grow the copper and zinc side of their business, and Elk Valley Resources focused more on the BC-based metallurgical coal production. Uh, that's coal to enable steel manufacturing. Uh, of course, as demand for copper and zinc spike, and investors expressed concern about climate risk and, um, I mean, partially optics as well, and policy pressures uh, related to investments in fossil fuels, uh, including the metallurgical coal that uh, the tech produces. Uh, the company is making a pretty persuasive argument that the split would enable both sides of the business to succeed independently. And I should clarify that this doesn't mean that the case for metallurgical coal itself isn't there, uh, just that it might be easier to market the metal side, uh, you know, receive uh, policy support and uh, investment buzz around it uh, if the coal isn't actually bundled in. And uh, as I've read the comments from both tech and major investors, the separation itself, um, the, the vote that's going to happen, it doesn't actually preclude a merger or acquisition of either portion of the business down the line, but it would position um, the company uh, to deliver the greatest direct benefit uh, to PC's economy within the coal business and to ideally remain Canadian, uh, if, even if the metals side of the business is later swept up by trends that overall are favoring consolidation in the corporate critical minerals landscape. And that's something we're seeing happen internationally right now. Uh, essentially, the way that decisions like this are made at publicly traded companies uh, comes down to voting. Votes are based on the number and the class of voting shares you have. Tech has two classes. There's A shares and B shares. And, uh, you know, as listeners may expect, uh, major institutional investors and even a sovereign wealth fund, uh, one of the, the major ones, uh, hold a lot of the cards here. Uh, so, you know, it's not like they're calling every single uh, shareholder and asking them to participate. Um, and ultimately, those large uh, shareholders are where Glencore is putting the bulk of its, its efforts. And many industry titans, uh, including Norman Keeble, whose family owns a very significant chunk of tech's Class A shares, are actually actively opposing the takeover bid, at least until the restructuring is complete. Uh, and, of course, the leadership opposes it. Uh, we also saw some interesting comments this week from Premier David Eby. He's made clear that while the province opposes the takeover, it doesn't have the power to block it. Uh, and he had some really, really positive things to say about the importance of mining and tech as an employer in the southeast of British Columbia. Thousands of people there uh, directly and uh, thousands more indirectly benefit from the economic activity that's generated through the metallurgical coal business. And uh, these family-supporting incomes are a pretty big deal on a local level. They're also a major contributor to the BC tax base. And, uh, in fact, about 60% of all of tech's revenues today come from that portion of the business. 
the Premier also suggested that, uh, you know, the planned growth um, uh, in terms of metallurgical coal development could be impacted if Glencore was actually running the show. You know, tech has been building trust and growing relationships with Indigenous communities in the East Kootenays for many, many years, and the support of those communities would actually be pivotal for proposed uh, metallurgical coal mine expansion. Uh, so it's kind of unclear, you know, how a new operator would uh, would navigate this very complex regulatory and uh, stakeholder environment that we have uh, in order to get projects like the Fording River mine expansion built. Uh, that would be subject to a joint federal-provincial approval process, and uh, that's something that we know requires very robust engagement with Indigenous peoples. But in terms of direct jobs alone, tech employs about 8,000 British Columbians, thousands more are employed within the supply chain, and uh, even though Glencore has said it would keep an office in Canada, there is no clarity on whether that would uh, mean remaining in Vancouver or what that would mean for communities where tech is the largest employer today. And I'll just also finish this note by saying that uh, Vancouver has actually lost nine head offices since 2012, and that's according to the Business Council. We actually need to reverse that trend and attract more businesses to come and employ people. But in the interim, I'm really optimistic that we could avoid losing one major employer here in the city. Seems like there would definitely be some consequences. When will the matter be settled? Well, the order of events, as I understand it, is that uh, shareholders are going to vote on April 26th on on whether to accept the uh, restructuring proposal. The vote requires two-thirds support from Class A and B shareholders, respectively. That's a fairly high bar. And uh, there's... uh, you know, there's sort of a, I think, a piece here where shareholders need to have their say. But as the Mining Association of British Columbia has also made clear, the federal government actually has the capacity to subject an acquisition of this size to review to ensure that it's really consistent with the national interest. And they've applied these powers um, when it comes to these matters uh, in the last couple of months. And given how much the federal government has been leading into critical minerals and Canada's potential as a major exporter to feed demand for the commodities that would enable electrification and net zero, um, I hope that they're watching and planning to respond as a matter of both. Now, Margareta, I hear you're in Hungary this week. What's the latest from the European continent? Well, it's been a beautiful spring day here, and uh, I'm really grateful to be among family and loved ones once again, uh, even if it's only for a pretty short visit. Um, some interesting things we've been hearing from the, the bulk of uh, this continent. Uh, Germany actually just shut down its last nuclear power plant. And uh, to no one's surprise, the price of energy has rocketed. I think I've seen increases of uh, 40, 50 percent, uh, in some cases more, for, for people's power bills. Um, and all of this was actually planned in 2011 in the wake of uh, the Fukushima disaster. Uh, but the finalization of the closures of these nuclear facilities was deferred. Uh, given all the price spikes that we've seen as a result of the Russian-Ukraine conflict. Um, so it's a real, real pressure cooker situation. Uh, energy prices have already been absurdly high. People are making serious sacrifices in terms of their quality of life and things like heating their homes and, you know, running appliances. Uh, price of food, of course, is affected by energy. So uh, it's a real challenging time for European consumers. And I think a sobering wake-up call that even environmentally-minded uh, goals that are about human health and safety and well-being. Um, and that's what a lot of uh, nuclear opponents say uh, their opposition is about. Um, they can have real consequences on people's well-being uh, that are immediate uh, and also enduring. And uh, Europe has a real, real challenge ahead to ensure it can deliver the energy that consumers and businesses need in order to uh, stay comfortable and to keep growing the economy. Mm-hmm. Challenging situation for folks in Europe, for sure. Would you compare this to some of the affordability pressures that Canadian families and businesses are facing right now? 
I would say they're definitely comparable. Uh, certainly not the exact same causes. Energy prices are a big part of the uh, issues that we've been having lately. And uh, the carbon price, uh, you know, is a measure designed to uh, reduce our overall consumption of emissions-intensive fuels. Uh, that is having a very large uh, role to play. And, in fact, there was actually just a report uh, released by Dalhousie University's Agri-Food Analytics Lab. And they're forecasting for 2025 a, an average 34% increase in the wholesale price of, uh, of all food categories. Um, some categories um, might even be seeing spikes as high as 25% increase. And this is from 2022 levels. Uh, you know, meat in particular, um, baked goods, 35%. Dairy, 41%. Uh, vegetables seem to do a little bit better, around 8% increase projected. Uh, but these are, of course, before the um, goods actually hit the stores where consumers buy them. So uh, depending on how things are structured, uh, it could be a little bit uh, or a lot more expensive. And uh, this certainly puts some of the challenges we've been hearing over the last six months and the last year really into perspective. Uh, things are very likely to get worse, not better. Uh, we have a lot going for us. You know, we have tremendous amounts of clean, renewable electricity, especially in provinces like British Columbia. Uh, you know, we have a very diverse economy with uh, many different uh, core commodities and products produced right here. Um, but it does potentially put quite a pinch on the wallets of uh, families in Canada and I'm really looking to political leadership to find answers to this, work collaboratively with uh, industry and uh, with global partners to ensure that uh, we aren't totally devastated by the uh, pressures that consumers are facing. Now, in other news, BC United, the provincial political party formerly known as the BC Liberals, has encountered some challenges with the new name. Tell us more about that. Yeah, indeed. It, it could certainly be argued that uh, some of the confusion about what to call the party was entirely foreseeable. Uh, you know, BC United, that's not a really complicated name, uh, but it doesn't lend itself well to a straightforward moniker for its members like the BC Liberals or BC Greens or BC New Democrats. Uh, you know, the people within the party can hardly be called BC United or BC United I least of all the you know, BC Unitarians. Um, you know, maybe I should uh, throw the, uh, and they call this a politonym, uh, BC United Onians into the mix. I, I think that rolls off the tongue pretty well. Uh, but, you know, jokes aside, the, the latest drama has actually unfurled over a slightly different matter. Uh, in lieu of writing or saying BC United over and over, some people are referring to the party by its acronym, BCUP, or uh, some have taken a calling it BCUP. And uh, that's resulting in some allegations of inappropriately gendered language due to uh, the unfortunate association between BCUP and a specific article of women's clothing. Uh, frankly, if anyone's making a joke about it, eh, you know, grow up. Um, maybe don't make those jokes. Maybe don't get uh, super torn up if someone does make them. Uh, but, you know, surely pronouncing it that way, if the intent is not to uh, satirize or to offend, isn't immediately classifiable as a craft joke. But I think the more important matter, and the fact that this is something that's uh, been uh, certainly uh, in the news, <laughs> at least uh, the people that I listen to, um, it's telling to me that uh, we're not focusing on the core issues. Uh, BC United has a real challenge ahead it to differentiate itself uh, from the BC NDP and lead into the next election. That's really what I'm going to be looking for, and I think a lot of people are going to be looking for them to demonstrate leadership on everything from uh, getting new projects, new economic opportunities, built for British Columbia through to defending consumer affordability. And uh, these issues are certainly on the path to getting more intense, uh, not better just yet. And uh, strong political leadership, uh, whatever we call it, will be a big part of the solution here. Certainly will. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care.
You too.